Ultimate College Football Preview 2022. Presented by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network. I guess that's a great point, but also your head coach is a 0% winning percentage. So I think this is going to be maybe one of the craziest years. Is Texas back? No, Texas is not back. Welcome to the College Football Preview 2022 presented by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network. This seven-episode series will take you through all of the Power Five conferences, the national championship conversation, and the players you need to know across the Heisman and NFL Draft landscape. Each episode will feature our locked-on local experts who cover each of the biggest teams around college football every Monday through Friday. We'll also be joined by betting expert Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets to help you set the edge and rake in the cash this college football season. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby, daily host of the Locked On Auburn podcast. But for this series, I will be your guide as we visit with over 30 different experts to get you ready for the season ahead. Today, we're kicking off with the Big 12. Realignment has been the topic of conversation this offseason. But before the Sooners head to the SEC, they'd love to dethrone Baylor on the way out. We'll start with the conference favorites, the Oklahoma Sooners and the Baylor Bears. Conference favorites. The Sooners may be on the way to the SEC, but there's no doubt they'd love to carry a Big 12 championship out the door. But Baylor may have the best coach in the conference looking to sick them. John Williams of Locked On Sooners and Drake Toll of Locked On Baylor gives you everything you need to know about the Oklahoma Sooners and the Baylor Bears every Monday through Friday. John, we'll start with the Sooners here. Why is it Oklahoma's year? This is a reinvigorated team with a reinvigorated fan base, excited to start the Brent Venables era off right. They had a ton of turnover from the transfer portal to the NFL from the 2021 team, but they filled all those holes with experienced transfer additions from the Pac-12, from the AAC. They've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience coming in that are going to fill some of those roles in addition to the talent that they already had on the depth chart. So Oklahoma is looking strong heading into 2022. Drake Toll, same question. Why is it Baylor's year going into 2022? Well, first and foremost, it only feels right that the team that won the Big 12 championship should have their host on the top of the screen. So I think there's already a little there and should be I mean, asked the question first. But the, right. In both the preseason polls, so below Oklahoma. So uh, that's right. I guess that's a great point, but also your head coach is a 0% winning percentage. So that's why I have a lot of faith in Baylor as their head coach has a little bit better this season. Also, the guys up front. You look at the, the offensive defensive lines. happened also. It did that a long time. I wasn't even alive for that. But <laughs> the O-line, the D-line for Baylor, that, Zach, that's where I make my bed. I, I, and, and that's Gabe Hall. The Athletic came out and said that Gabe Hall is the biggest freak on Baylor's team. He's not even top five on my list. The fact that there are national brands saying that a guy like Gabe Hall, who I didn't have on my radar as being that guy on their list, shows the depth of this team. Jackson Player on the D-line, Siaki Ika, all those guys combined are like the size of a large whale, like a lot, not even a small whale, but one of the humpback ones. And the offensive line, four of five returners, the, the offensive lineman of the year last year, Connor Galvin's also back. So it'll be the best unit, not just in the Big 12, but top five, top 10 of the country, D-line, O-line, both. And then Blake Shapin has a really high ceiling at quarterback. I think there are a lot of questions about him as there are questions about Dylan Gabriel. But if you got an O-line, if you got a D-line, those two things traveled. And the best two teams in the Big 12 last year, Oklahoma State and Baylor, why were they the best two? 
O-line, D-line, that's not going to change. John, I think it's interesting that, that Dre talking about this year for the Baylor Bears quickly referred to last year. And really, if you want to look at history, I think recent history, it does point more towards the Sooners. Or does that not matter because it's a new era under Brent Venables? I mean, it matters. The Oklahoma Sooners run the Big 12. That's just the reality of the situation. 14 conference championships since the league was invented back in the mid-90s. This is a team that is the pinnacle of Big 12 conference football. At the same time, I mean, everything that Drake laid out is true. They've got a great offensive line, a great defensive line. I like Blake Shapin. What they have on the outside, that's the question mark to me. What Who they're going to give the ball to is a big question mark for me. But yes, the Oklahoma Sooners, even though it's a new coach, a new head coach, this is a guy that spent the last 30 years under Bill Snyder, Bob Stoops, and Dabo Sweeney. Did you say under? Three legends. Was was he head coaching any of those? Three legends of the sport. Okay, I guess my notes were wrong. And arguably the best defensive coordinator in the country of the last decade. So this is a guy that's got a ton of experience. The assistants that are on his staff, aside from Miguel Chavis, who coaches the defensive ends, and L. Damian Washington, who just took over as the wide receivers coach. It's an experienced staff. So yeah, the guy hasn't coached a game as a head football coach, but he's gotten the best tutelage that one could ask for spending the last 30 years under three guys that eventually Dabo Sweeney will be in the College Football Hall of Fame, but Stoops and, and Dan uh, Bill Snyder are in the College Football Hall of Fame right now. And so he's he's got a great kind of foundation for what it means to be a head coach. And he's done a great job instilling kind of his culture and what he's looking for as an Oklahoma Seniors football program. And he knows what it takes to win. He's done it at at Clemson, went and challenged the SEC for recruits on an annual basis, has two national championships with Clemson, played in several more with the Oklahoma Sooners, or coached in several more with the Oklahoma Sooners, and then has the 2000 national championship as well. So yes, no head coaching experience, but he's not a guy that doesn't lack experience. Mm, I love the mention of everyone who's not Brent Venables in saying how good Brent Venables is. Everyone around Brent Venables and his head coaches have been great. And I do believe he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation, but there's such a gap. And Dave Aranda saw it in year one at Baylor, even as one of the premier D coordinators in college football. There's a gap between being the DC and leading an entire roster. So maybe all those coaches historically are great and the resume and the, the references for Brent Venables are awesome, but how does he command a team? Dave Aranda walked in day one and didn't know how to do it. He had to completely revamp and fire guys going into year two because he felt so lost. Uh, Saying that's not going to happen with Brent Venables at a program like OU, OU is a wildly different beast than Baylor. Someone walks into Baylor and it's a quiet, no-noise program. OU, the country is watching, and this guy has never had that. Well, and Brent Venables is embracing that. He's like, the standard is the best. Like, we're not settling for good. We're looking to go from good to great. He's under, he understands the challenge of what it takes to go into the SEC and to beat some of those teams, beat Alabama in a national championship game twice. So this is a guy that's not afraid of the challenge. He was just waiting for the, the right opportunity. Oklahoma came available at the right time, and it is the right time and the right opportunity for him to take his next step into coaching. And all reports, everything from the players is the system, the culture, the program, is heading down a fantastic road. Everybody is ecstatic. They're loving where they're at. Obviously, he's got to get on the field and he's got to prove it. You know, the first couple of games aren't really going to be litmus tests for this team, 
But when they go into Lincoln and they play Nebraska on the road for that third non-conference game, that's going to be the true test of what Brent Venables is made of as a head coach. I mean, we've, it, it matters. He doesn't have the head coaching experience, the game managing experience, when to call timeouts, you know, how to, to kind of make those adjustments, discuss with the offensive coordinator, hey, we got to do something a little bit different here. Like that's going to be a different thing for him. But again, he's got a great offensive coordinator in Jeff Levy. I mean, he's not breaking in rookie well, on that side of the ball great's either. a strong word. Uh, Baylor's pretty familiar with Jeff Levy themselves. And I don't know, I think great might be a little too. He's okay. I mean, I, I think Jeff Levy's pretty good. Uh, yes. To John's credit. I, I think, I think uh, Levy, Levy is solid. All right. So I'm going to ask both of you this question. We'll start with you, John Williams, Locked On Sooners. If, if things go off the rails and Oklahoma does not win the Big 12 conference in their final, potentially final year in the conference, what went wrong? Well, to me, injuries, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to be just if the defensive line inexperience gets to them. I like the defensive line talent that they have, but they haven't played a ton of snaps. I mean, Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Marcus Stripling on the edge. They've been reserve players for the last several years, sitting behind you know Ronnie Perkins and uh, last year, Nick Bonito, Isaiah Thomas. So now these are the guys that, we're expecting to take big steps. If they're not able to do that and they can't generate a pass rush, which I think they're going to be able to, if the Alamo bowl in the spring game was any indication, this edge group is going to be lights out this year. And then the other side, I mean, we're talking about the trenches. Like the other side of it is the offensive line. It was good at times last year. It wasn't to the standard that Oklahoma's used to from their offensive line. They've got to be better. Now they only returned three of their starters, but they got a big transfer from Cal and McCade and Matower. And then they've got a nice right tackle competition going on with several guys that have a lot of talent. Um, so I think if it if it goes wrong, it's going to be the offensive line is not as good as we needed it to be. And then the guys on the defensive line don't live up to my expectations, which I think it's going to be a great unit. Sure. Drake told host of Locked On Baylor, if Baylor does not win the the Big 12, what what happened? This has been a, a conversation we've had frequently on my show. It's not the X's and O's necessarily, or even the Jimmy's and Joe's really. It's the schedule. Your toughest games come on the road. You go to Oklahoma. You go to Texas. You've never won in Morgantown. You go to Morgantown. Ames, Iowa. You go to Provo and BYU to Lubbock, and, and even if some of those games are winnable games, you flip a schedule that last year all your big ones were at home. That was a big key to 10-2. and two. Now this season, when that flips, it becomes a lot tougher when you're traveling to Austin, playing a Texas team that at that point in the season will have plenty of time to help put things together. So if things don't go Baylor's way this year, it's got to be the schedule. Historically, Baylor's played awful on the road. Even last season, the game at TCU. I think Baylor wins that game at home. You go on the road to a game that doesn't have a ton of fans at it. No one really cares about this football game at TCU. They just fired Gary Patterson, and somehow the Horn Frogs win it because when Baylor heard footsteps, they balked. And if you get that again this season, you're seeing a floor of 7-5 and five for Baylor. They could be a preseason number one team in the Big 12 that finishes 7-5 and five because they lose four games on the road. It's just the nature of how the even year schedule goes for Baylor. And if I'm looking at a, a, a true prediction for the Baylor Bears this season, it's sitting nine and three, which could still get you in the Big 12 championship with a loss to BYU and two losses in conference play. But with this schedule, anybody going nine and three would still like to hang your hat on it. Sure. All right. So you mentioned that tough schedule. Uh, Baylor goes to Oklahoma. As you mentioned, John Williams, host of Locked On Sooners, is that the biggest game on the schedule in the Big 12? I mean, it's one of the biggest games. I mean, you can't ever discount the Red River Showdown. 
I mean, it doesn't matter if Texas is five and seven like they were last year. I mean, they got up on Oklahoma big in the first half, up 38-18, and Oklahoma had to mount this furious comeback in the second half. That's one of those games that you always circle on the calendar. It doesn't matter what the records are. I mean, that's cliche, but you literally throw the records out the window. It never matters. But, yeah, that Baylor game, when they come to Norman you know, in November, that's going to be huge. But, I mean, Oklahoma's got a couple tough tests as well. they got to go to Morgantown. they got to go to Ames as well. And and those are going to be tough games as well. But they've, they've got a favorable schedule. They get Kansas State. They get Baylor. They get Oklahoma State at home. And so it, the schedule works out favorably for Oklahoma. But, yeah, it's going to be coming back to – can Oklahoma get that one back against Baylor this year that they lost in Waco last year? Yeah, Drake Toll of Locked On Baylor, same question. In your mind, where does this game rank among all the games in the Big 12? Yeah, it's it's not one for me. And the reason why is I've circled, every Baylor fan has circled game one that's going to matter. It's going to be BYU on the road. It's not a Big 12 game right now, but it will be in the future. And that factors so much into this one. You're going to play a game at 8.30 local time in front of a gajillion screen. It's one of the toughest places to play in college football. If sure. Baylor loses that game in week two, they find themselves staring down the barrel of seven and five, eight and four. If they win that game, I think they win 10 games, if not more, no matter what. So I don't think across the board, Baylor fans have really talked about the Oklahoma game yet or that Oklahoma's really on the horizon. Another big one is TCU. They've lost now two straight under Dave Aranda to TCU. You get them at home under a first-year head coach. How well can you play against the Horned Frogs? And it's those games that in the past have tripped up Baylor. In 2019, you saw the Bears finish 11-1 and over, over the course of the season where it felt like you got lucky with a few. And then you fast-forward to last year, you lose at TCU where you felt like you should have won. And there's always one of those games that trips up Baylor. Can they win that random home game against the random Big 12 team that they haven't been able to in the past? I think that's what's being circled right now. That's whether or not this team goes 11 and 1 or 12 and 0, which Dave Aranda and company feel like they can do. Right. All right. So, uh John Williams locked on Sooners, does the winner of of this game potentially win the Big 12 or are there so many big games where it's like, "And eh, this is just a small part of it." I mean, it's one part of it because it's a deep yeah. conference this year. You talk about Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State. A lot of people are, you know, given the the underdog card to Kansas State. You know, the the sleeping the sleeping dog, the sleeping giant to Kansas State. TCU could be tough. I think West Virginia is going to be better with an actual, you know, good offensive coordinator and a good quarterback if they can keep JT Daniels healthy. And then, I mean, we saw Kansas make incredible strides in Lance Leipold's first year. He was only on the job for a few months when you know he. They started the regular season. So it's a deeper conference than I think people are giving it credit for. And I mean, it could very well be, you know, Oklahoma and Baylor, you know, meeting again in the Big 12 championship game. But it wouldn't surprise me if it's, you know, Baylor and somebody else and Oklahoma and somebody else. I mean, it, I think the conference is just going to be really tough this year. Positioning for the college football playoff is such a big thing that each conference obviously wants to do. Every conference wants to have as much representation in those final four teams as possible. For the Big 12, the winner of the Big 12 to make it to the final four teams, does a team need to be undefeated? Obviously, it depends on other things that are happening. With But with the SEC typically getting two teams in, Clemson's got a cakewalk potentially with the ACC. There's some interesting things happening with the Pac-12. A lot of folks are going to want to put USC in just because of the size of the market. Does the winner of the Big 12, Drake told, do they, do they need to go undefeated? 
Yes, there there is no way. I'll say right now, there's no way a Big 12 team makes it to the college football playoff. The reason I say that, I am firmly confident that at least one, probably two of the teams that go to Arlington will have two losses in conference play on their ledger in three or four losses overall. I have seen Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State. That's half the league projected in the conference championship game this season. And Zach, I wouldn't be surprised if any one of those five teams are there. I'd say, yeah. No, that that pretty much checks out. When you have that much depth and parity in this league, I don't see any team getting through at 12-0. I could see a Baylor team marching into Morgantown at 5-0, losing that one, and ended up going 10-2 to a West Virginia squad that goes 6-6 this season. It's just that kind of year and that kind of conference, especially with the new head coaches. So, Zach, I don't think it matters. I think that's a moot conversation because there's no way a Big 12 team makes a college football playoff this year, and the AP voters, they agree with that because your highest-ranked Big 12 team, ninth. That's five spots out of the playoff in a one-bid conference. There's just not a way, even in the preseason, that the Big 12 gets somebody in. John Williams locked on sooner. Are you buying that? I think if they, if, it depends on what one loss a team has. So say Oklahoma loses to Baylor at home in Norman, but then avenges that loss in the Big 12 championship game. We've seen that. You know, when Oklahoma made the playoffs you know, several years ago, that was kind of the way it went down. Is They lost a game, avenged the loss in the Big 12 championship game. I don't think they necessarily have to go undefeated because I, I mean, I think the SEC is going to beat up on itself a little bit. The Big Ten will do the same. If there's going to be a conference that gets two in, it's going to be the SEC. I don't think we're going to see a group of five team make it into the college football playoff discussion this year. And USC might, but I'm just not, I'm just not buying it yet with with USC. A lot of talent for sure, but do sure. they have what what's necessary in the trenches to you know combat a team like Oregon or Utah? And go through their season unscathed because I think they, you know, that's a, a conference where you probably have to go undefeated in order to make it into the college football playoff. In the Big 12, because we're talking about the depth of it, I do think a Big 12 champion with one loss can get through, especially like Baylor. Say they go, you know, they lose that game to BYU, but then they run the table. Yeah. And we, I think we saw it last year with, uh, you know, Ohio State. I mean, they were in college football playoff consideration, even though they had that opening season loss late into the year until you know they dropped another one at, at the end. So I think right. a one-loss Big 12 team could make it in. Again, so many things have to play out just right for the Big 12, though. Locked on Sooners and Locked on Baylor are available every Monday through Friday, free and available on all podcast apps and, of course, on YouTube. John, Drake, we'll see you later in the series for the national championship conversation. But now it's time to ask the question that everyone wants the answer to. Is Texas back? The Big 12 teams that are saying, don't sleep on me, are up next. Don't sleep on. The Texas Longhorns continue their constant quest to prove that they are back while the TCU Horn Frogs look to make a statement in the Big 12 this season. Stephen Simcox of Locked On Horn Frogs and Jonathan Davis of Locked On Longhorns join me. Jonathan, let's start with Texas. Is this the year, Jonathan? Is Texas back? No, Texas is not back. <laughs> but I think that, you know, this team has aspirations to get to the Big 12 championship game. They feel like they have enough talent, probably the most talented team top to bottom in the Big 12. So, it's going to take a long way for Texas to be back. I think that means, you know, like consecutive or, you know, annual trips to the conference championship game, being a conference 
I mean, a college football playoff contender, but they think they're on the right track and it starts this year uh, trying to make it to the Big 12 championship game. Sure. Steven, talking about the Horn Frogs here, if it's if it's TCU's season, if it's TCU's year, what happens for that to all unfold? Well, I think first is just, you know, an all-around buy-in from the team. I feel like this offseason, Zach, I've been listening to the national media talk about TCU, and I when I hear them talk, I think, I don't feel like you've watched TCU football the last few years, which, honestly, I don't blame them. I mean, I probably wouldn't either if I didn't have to, given the results. But there's just this, this constant kind of idea of how are they going to replace Gary Patterson, and those are big shoes to fill. I don't want to dismiss the job that he did over two decades getting that program to where they were, but... Honestly, the team the last three years, you know, five and seven, six and four in a COVID shortened season, five and seven again last year. The results have been really mediocre. Um, and I think it starts with getting that offense to a place where they're more efficient. That's why they brought in Sonny Dykes. That's what he does. Even when he was at Cal and that team struggled, you know, he was still able to have a team that scored points and churned out a really good quarterback prospect in Jared Goff. So Finding the QB, which I know we're going to talk about these these QB battles for, for both our respective teams. Um, finding that guy that can be efficient, run the offense well, have command of it, um, and just bring some more excitement to Fort Worth. That's going to be um, the, the two big keys in my mind is having a team that can score points and just sort of getting some swagger back in, in TCU football. I think you know the identity they used to have with being kind of a a group that had a chip on their shoulder and surprised people that that has been uh, stripped away from them in the last few years with, with some losing seasons. What does a Sonny Dykes team ideally look like Steven and how close will it be to that this season? Well, you know, when you look at what he did at SMU, I think there was, it was kind of surprising to hear this, but they're honestly pretty physical. You know, they had a good offensive line. Sure. Um, they would churn out yards on the ground if the defense allowed that for them. Um, so I, I think that was the first step. They they went up tempo. They were able to take advantage of their opportunities. Um, now, the thing that he's going to have to fix is those SMU teams traditionally, like once November, December rolled around, they would sort of fade down the stretch. And, and that's going to be a big challenge, you know, stepping up to the Power 5 level again, finding a, a group that is able to compete week in and week out. But, um, you know, as I said earlier, the thing Sonny's done his entire career is, is have an offense that can, you know, put up points and, and have fireworks. So bringing over Garrett Riley as the OC, that's really what they're they're trying to do. They have some talented skill position players like Quentin Johnston, um, Kendra Miller at running back. There are a few other wide receivers in the slot like Darius Davis and Tay Barber they're excited about. Um, so that that's going to be a major part of it. But, yeah, Sonny Dykes has always had fun and exciting teams, and that's sort of been his – his MO at his different stops throughout his career. Well, fun and exciting. Uh, I think a lot of people would say that describes Steve Sarkeesian as well. Jonathan Davis, host of Locked on Longhorns. I think we saw glimpses of Texas looking like the ideal version of a Sark-led team. Are they closer to that this year? I think they are. I mean, when you looked at it last year with all of the struggles you had, you know, back and forth with the quarterbacks, shaky quarterback play, um, definitely shaky offensive line play and not a lot of receiving threats to counter Xavier Worthy, who was a freshman All-American. Um, they still were 17th in uh, college football in scoring. 
right? And I think that this is a team that has added a lot of talent on the offensive side. You return one of the best offensive players in the country in B. John Robinson, another top 10 offensive player in the country in Xavier Worthy. And I think they added some pieces via, you know, the 2022 recruiting class and the transfer portal that makes me think that this will be a top five to 10 uh, scoring offense. So I think that losing Isaiah Nayor, the transfer from Wyoming, who was thought to be that deep threat opposite of Xavier Worthy, lost him to an ACL injury in the first scrimmage. That's definitely a big loss. But like I said, with the additions uh, through the transfer portal and this recruiting class, I think that this offense, was, which was explosive last year, albeit a lot of inconsistency and shakiness on that uh on the side of the ball at all positions. I right. think they're a lot better talent-wise at each position this year, and you get even a more explosive version of Sark's offense. Sure. Now, I, I think we're going to see that. It, but a big part of, of both of these offenses that we're talking about, it depends who's at, at quarterback. Both, uh, both TCU and Texas have quarterback battles going on. Steven Simcox, host of Locked on Horn Frogs. Let, let's start with TCU's quarterback battle. Tell us who's competing and give us your thoughts on you, who, who you think wins it. So we got Max Duggan and Chandler Morris, and they've been battling it out through the spring and into fall camp. You know, it's intriguing. Um, Sonny Dyke said before the year started, he really wanted to get this decision made a few weeks before the season. And I mean, we're sitting here a few weeks before the season and we still don't have a decision. So I think that tells you that competition is pretty fierce. I, I feel like the hang up is Chandler Morris um, had a really good performance and an upset win over Baylor. Last year, a lot of people thought he was just going to walk in and take that job. Um, but Max Duggan, this will be his his fourth full year starting if he if he's in there to start the season. He had to play a lot when he was a freshman and then in 2020 and 2021 as well. So I feel like he's got the respect of that locker room, um, and, and I think that's been a, a big hang-up in naming a starter. I do feel like it'll ultimately be Chandler Morris because you know, when I talk about Max and when I think about him, um, he's he's great with his legs. He can run. He's tough. He's hard nosed. But you, you see what I'm mentioning here. I haven't said anything about him throwing the football yet. I mean, it's kind of like how women would describe me when I was single. There's a lot of good intangible things, but there were some there were some key components that that were missing. And I, I just feel like Max. That's going to be ultimately what holds him back is the 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 struggles with accuracy throwing the football, um, the the inefficiency at times. And so ultimately, I, I think the team has a higher ceiling with Chandler Morris and that's who they'll end up going to. And that's who I expect to start on uh, a couple Fridays from now when they play Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yes, that is Chad Morris's son, which yeah. may be a knock against them. I don't know. Depending on who you ask, if you ask Auburn people or, or, uh, or uh, Arkansas, Arkansas people, yeah. yeah, I think they may say, eh, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. Jonathan Davis, host of locked on Longhorns. Going into Texas's fall camp, I thought it was going to be Quinn Ewers early and often at fall camp, but there's a real battle going on here. No, there definitely is. I mean, when you talk about Quinn Ewers, who left high school early to go to Ohio State, and then he comes yeah. to Texas, and he's driving around in an Aston Martin, and everybody just assumes that he's going to be you know, the starting quarterback, and then you're hearing... Uh, which started in the spring and then now in fall camp, it's a real quarterback battle. Most people thought, you know, this was a uh, a quarterback battle kind of by, you know, just to make it look good. No, they're really battling. <laughs> and by all accounts, um, Hudson Card has looked really good as an improvement from last year. I think that they both are dealing with some key issues. And I think that's why most of the reports that say neither one has really separated uh, themselves from the other yet kind of stand to be true. I think when you look at Quinn Ewers, he has all the talent in the world, right? And he probably should be, 
uh, the starter day one. He can just make all of the throws, but he's dealt with some turnover issues in camp thus far that I think have held him back and held Sark back from naming him the starter. And I think when you look at Hudson Card, he struggles with the deep ball, which is an issue last year. And, you know, also at times he can just play too tight and you want your quarterback to play loose. And I don't know how Hudson Card can play loose when he was benched last year for Casey Thompson. And now he's got Quinn Ewers looking behind him. You know what I mean? I know I'd be out there uh, playing tight. So definitely a really interesting quarterback battle. Both quarterbacks uh, left a lot to be desired in the scrimmage this past Saturday. Uh, well, I think this next Saturday scrimmage uh, will probably be the biggest factor in choosing who is the starting quarterback for the season. I still think it's Quinn Ewers because once again, he just has that all world talent. And I think he raises the ceiling of your football team to another level than Hudson Carr does, but he's going to have to earn it as Sark has shown thus far. Yeah. You got to think there's going to be a tight leash regardless of, um, of who wins that one. So, all right, let's focus back on TCU just for a second here, Steven, if we get, you know, three-fourths of the way through the season, it's week eight, week nine, something like that, and it's just, it's the season's not going the way that we think it's going. What caused the Horn Frogs to get there? If things just totally go off the rails, why does that happen? Well, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, this was a defense that really struggled last year, especially against the run. So they're changing schemes. They're going from a 4-2-5 to a 3-3-5. They're going to have three down linemen. And, you know, one challenge for this uh, coaching staff and Joe Gillespie, the defensive coordinator coming over from Tulsa, is that there's really nobody on this roster that is a traditional nose tackle. You know, a lot of their off defensive linemen in the past are um, kind of edge guys, quick, fast, trying to disrupt with their athleticism. Sure. And so at the moment, Dominic Williams, who was a true freshman coming over from Mission Hills, California, he's your starter in the middle. Um, and I mean, he's a big physical kid. He comes in at six, two, 325 pounds, but he's still 17 years old. He hasn't even turned 18 yet. I think he's wow. going to turn 18 before the start of the season. Uh, but that's a big ask. You know, you, you got a guy that's supposed to take on double teams and be a force to allow those linebackers to come up and make plays. Um, that, that's a huge ask of him. He'll be rotating in and out with, with Sonny Misi, who is a, a holdover from the previous regime. Um, but on the other side of that, they got Dylan Horton on the edge. I, I think if this team gets knocked off the ball like they did last year and they, and they can't slow down, uh, you know, power football and um, offenses are able to pick them apart, then even with a really good offense, it's going to be tough to consistently win games. Uh, so I think that paired with do you still have questions at quarterback? Are, are you turning the ball over? Are some of these skill guys that you're excited about? not producing like you expected. Those would be the things that would really hold TCU back this year. Jonathan, same question to you about the Longhorns. If, if, you know, week nine, week 10 rolls around and Texas is not, you know, in the top half of the big 12 standings, what went wrong? I think first it starts with quarterback play. You know, when Quinn Ewers tweeted in December, Alexa, take me back to Texas, right? <laughs> play, take me back to Texas. Most Texas fans assumed, okay, Quarterback is going to be a huge improvement in 2022. And I think from what we've seen in the camps thus far, you know, that may have been, um, as Sark says, all gas, no brakes. That would have been a bit, uh, too much foot on the gas there. I think also the offensive line, um, which was an issue last year. We know Texas has all the talent at the skill positions, but the games are still won and lost in the trenches. And I think the offensive line was an issue last year. And if they can't get that fixed, there's been some injuries already. They're counting on some true freshmen to play. Um, 
they just could lose at the point of attack, right? And and not be able to dominate in the trenches, which was the case last year. And I think that would be a key to them losing. And then a defense that was ranked in the triple digits, right? It was ranked uh, 100th in the country. We thank Steven uh, for Gary Patterson, and we hope that's the counter to your Sonny Dykes offense. <laughs> but um, I think if we're looking up at week nine or 10 and, and, and Texas is same old, same old, then I think it has a lot to do with the defense probably staying closer to that triple digit range in the country as well. All right, so we got some of the other Big 12 hosts to talk about some of the biggest games in the Big 12 this season from their team's perspective. Steven Simcox, host of Locked On Horn Frogs. In your mind, going into the season, which two or three games do you have circled on TCU's schedule? Well, so, you know, starting in non-conference, uh, traveling on the road to Dallas to play SMU in the third week of the season, this has been a series that lately TCU has dominated, but SMU has won the last two games. Um, Sonny Dykes is coming back to town. All 24, 25 SMU fans are going to be rowdy and, and, you know, giving them the business for, for leaving for Fort Worth. Uh, but the last few years, I'll say this, I think that game, losing that game has really taken the wind out of the sails of this team and it doesn't sound like a big deal but the difference between going 3 and 0 and 2 and 1 in non-conference play in my mind is just really significant. So that's sure. the first big hurdle I think they have to get over. Um you know another just measuring stick in, my, in in my mind is a few weeks later they play Oklahoma at home and I'm not necessarily sure they have to win that game. I don't expect them to, but that's the one team since they joined the Big 12 that they have just had no success against. They've only been able to win one of those games. Most of them are blowouts. So I feel like even staying competitive with the Sooners and Brett Venables would be just a nice shot in the arm for this group and um, a sign that maybe things are, are trending in the right direction. And and then finally, you know, the rivalry game against Baylor on the road. That's, you know, shockingly, even though they've struggled lately, they've won six out of seven against the Bears. They were able to pull off an upset last year. So that's typically a game they get up for. And, uh, you know, that'll be – at, really at the tail end of the season, their they're second to last game. So um, that would be a nice boost before they close the year against Iowa State. And and maybe the difference between winning, you know, eight or nine games, and, and that could be a huge deal. Jonathan Davis, host of Locked On Longhorns. Which two or three games do you have circled for Texas this season? Yeah, definitely. I look at the West Virginia game um, when it's the week before Oklahoma, uh, the Oklahoma game. So you can look at it as a trap game, especially with what happened last year. Sure. Um, and it's just your biggest rival. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that West Virginia with the, the transfer of uh, JT Daniels um, and, and Graham Harrell uh, and that, that air raid offense, I think that they're going to uh, be close to out there. You can get into a shootout. And, and you know, we saw with Kansas and Oklahoma last year, anytime you get into a shootout, it can come down to who has the ball last. So I think with that game being the week before Oklahoma, that could cause some problems. I'm looking at the Baylor game. This is a very young Texas team. And we know Baylor won the Big 12 uh, championship last year, and they returned a top 10 offensive and defensive line in the country. So, you know, in Waco, they know how to win football games. And I think they're going to be better passing uh, with Blake Shapin, I think it is, at quarterback. So, um, this is a young Texas team. I think that the product you see in September is going to be completely different than the product you see in November. I think they're going to get better each week. That's their last game of the regular season. And so I'm looking forward to see how Texas looks by then and if they can compete uh, with the reigning Big 12 champions and the Baylor Bears. And then 
the last game, the Red River rivalry, right? Oklahoma, when you go out and and kind of, you know, step on them like you did in the first half last year, and then you blow that game and, and you lose it, you know, on, on that last run by, by Kennedy Brooks and just to lose in embarrassing fashion. And then the way that that catapulted a, a six-game losing streak in the Big 12 for you last year and really ruined your season, uh, you just have to get revenge against Oklahoma. You can't lose to them after losing to them that way you did last year. So I think it's the most important game on the schedule this year. That's including the Alabama game. Um, I think they have to go out and, and beat Oklahoma. And Brent Venables is in a new regime. Now. You know, it's not the Lincoln Riley days. This is not somebody that has your number. The school does, but Brent Venables does. not Right. And so I think you need to go out there in Sark's second year and kind of assert yourself in that first Sarkeesian Venables matchup, which we hope we'll see for a long time. Locked on Horn Frogs and Locked on Longhorns are available every Monday through Friday on your favorite podcast app as well as YouTube. Hey, what are the best sports gambling plays when looking at the Big 12? We're setting the edge next with Lee Sterling of Locked on Bets. Setting the edge with Lee Sterling of Locked on Bets. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all the betting advice you need every single weekday. Hosted by your boy Q and Lee Sterling, they've got you covered across all major sports. Today, the focus is the Big 12. Lee Sterling is here. You can find him on Twitter at Paramount Sports. Lee Sterling, looking at some of these top teams in the Big 12, ones that, you know you see seemingly every single year, Oklahoma, Leading the way at plus 225. Texas right behind him at plus 250. Oklahoma State, third, plus 600. What stands out to you about some of these lines? So I think this is going to be maybe one of the craziest years. Maybe it was started off because we found out, you know, that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be leading. But I don't see any great team out there. I got to be honest with you. Whereas the SEC, you know, it's Alabama, Georgia, and everyone else. This might be one of those years where it comes down to the last week and you've got like four teams with like two losses. So mm -hmm. every team has a real weakness. Let's start off with Oklahoma. Sure. Their defense. Their defense, I think, is going to be horrible. Now, they have a new coordinator, but the problem is can't stop anyone. I mean, they give up, you know, over 260 yards passing per game last year. If you watch the spring game, uh, Gabriel just went absolutely nuts on him, and you know he was just starting off in the system. So yeah, they got you know five guys back, but they need to have a couple guys transfers come in and 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 do a good job. And I just don't see. I I I think they're highly overrated. You know, their they're out of conference schedule is really nothing. You know, they don't have to worry about UTEP, Kent, or Nebraska. I think they're going to win all three games. So, I mean, I think the total's right there. I think I think they're going to end up winning probably nine or ten games. I'm going to stay away from, from the total. I, I can't lay them and take them at plus 225. So, I, uh, I just think that their offense is going to be great. Their defense is going to be horrendous. Just one of those things. I just think you stay away or or you fade them. Maybe right. go the uh, the under nine and a half. Um, I could see them winning eight, nine games. Yeah, yeah. And Vegas has that at nine and a half. That is the line at at, uh, at, at bet online. 
Net. Texas is the next one at plus 250. We asked the question last segment, is Texas back? What say you, Lee Sterling? Well, they returned 14 starters going into the year. Now, already in camp, they lost one of their best linemen. They lost what I thought would might be their best receiver transfer from Wyoming. So I, they just keep taking hits. They can't even decide on the quarterback. I mean, it looked like cards look the best, but they're afraid to say it. I mean, yours is, he's a guy that's got so much money tied up into him in NIL money, but um, their defense was absolutely awful. You know, they gave up over 31 points per game, 426 yards. Uh, I, I mean, 20 sacks. I mean, 20 sacks, you see that like from a, a you know, Mountain West team or, you know, lower level teams. You can't win championships getting to the quarterback 20 times. And I don't see it being, you know, considerably better here. Now, they might have the best running back, similar to, to Oklahoma. Great offense there. Sure. I think they're going to score. But um, defense is, wins you championships. I, I don't like Texas. Uh, I don't like him at plus 250, and I certainly don't like over eight and a half. I see him only winning seven or eight games. So I would probably look to the under also on Texas. Yeah, Texas eight and a half. So, yeah, that, that, that'll be a tough one for sure. I, I don't think Texas is quite back, despite what a lot of folks in Austin may be saying. Oklahoma State um, and Baylor are both tied, according to Bet Online's lines currently, as far as odds to win the Big 12 conference this season at, at plus 600. Do you like one of these more than the other? I, I like Baylor a lot better. Okay. So Mike Gundy, if you watch the conference championship game against Baylor, all he needed to do is play conservatively and they win the game. And he just kept opening it up. His offensive line couldn't protect the quarterback shows you the difference. Now he can win a lot of regular season games. He's eight and one. Nine and one going to the last three games seems like every single year. I, I like the Baylor team. Now, Dave Aranda's done a great job. Mentioned it many times before. You win championships with defense, and he's done that. Now, the total seven and a half, they're going to win eight, nine games. I mean, this is a solid team. They're not going to beat themselves here. Uh, defense is solid. I mean, 44 sacks. Uh they returned six guys. He's building it up. He's he's recruiting. He's getting guys that fit his system here. And um, whereas other teams like, you know, Oklahoma State, uh, they'll beat themselves. Oklahoma has no defense. Same with Texas. Give me a sound team like Baylor um, that does the right things and seems to have a home field advantage. Here's what's crazy. Teams like you think like Oklahoma and Texas have this great home field advantage. They have a losing record against the spread the last five, six years at home. So I like Baylor here. I, I love them. I, I think outside of a, game, a play I'm going to give you in just a second, over seven and a half wins, I, I think they'll win easy eight, nine games. We heard from Locked On Baylor host Drake Toll earlier in this special, Lee Sterling, host of Locked On Bets, and he pointed out how Baylor's road schedule this year is pretty brutal, and he thinks that's going to really kind of cause some concern among the Baylor fan base and the Baylor football team over the course of the season. You don't seem too worried about that. No, I I, I think the other teams have more holes, and I don't think they're coached as well. You know, the Oklahoma, you got a new coaching staff coming in. Sure. 
Texas, I think, is at least a year away. I think the recruits that they got this past year and coming in next year uh, will certainly help them. But um, when you have those changes and flux, I love coaches in the third year uh, of, of the regime. Yeah. The, the kids understand it. You're not putting in new things here. Um, and I think they found their quarterback. I mean, they were. it took them a little while, but they finally found their guy late in the season. The next one down, the next team down, as far as looking at the odds to win the Big 12, yep. is Kansas State at plus 800. This is one that's interesting to you. Absolute sleeper. Now, what you have is you have Adrian Martinez. Didn't uh -huh. do the job at, at, at Nebraska. One of the reasons why I think he and Frost didn't get along, he couldn't pull him, he didn't have anyone else, but he didn't have a feature back. Who's the best back in the conference? Well, Deuce Vaughn resides at Kansas State here. Yeah. They returned seven starters on defense. They got some really good transfers on defense, two guys that are probably going to step in and start. Maybe the best home field advantage. Uh, tough, tough place to play. Manhattan's I mean, crazy. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. I've seen them, I've seen them upset Oklahoma here. So – I think this is going to be the conference where it comes down to the last week and they're playing to finish it off at Baylor. If they can somehow get by that game, they might even lose that game. And they finish up with West Virginia and Kansas while the other teams are beating themselves up. They might be able to sneak in. So at eight plus 800 and especially over six and a half wins. Are you kidding me? I love Kansas State. Looking at other teams in the Big 12 that follow Kansas State, TCU is at plus 1,000, West Virginia plus 1,800, Iowa State plus 2,000, Texas Tech plus 5,000, and poor Kansas, Lee, poor Kansas is at 25,000 when you look at the odds at Bet Online. If you had to pick, if you had yep. to make a play with any of those, which, which of those stands out the most to you? Probably West Virginia, five and a half. <laughs> I think they'll win six, seven games. They're one of those teams they just seem to – to finish in the middle every single year. Um, I think they got some talent coming back, schedule, um, some transfers, some nice transfers. So uh, peg them for, for six wins and they make a bowl. Okay. All right. Yeah. And just, just looking at some of the win totals throughout the Big 12, Lee, we, we already touched on these a little bit, but let's start with, uh, let's start with Oklahoma at nine and a half. I know you said you're staying away from that one, but if you had to pick, which way are you going? Lean, slight lean to the under, just because the new coaching staff and the defense. So, um, you know, they get some – they're, they're going to be better next year. But, uh, I mean, they're recruiting – you know, they're not quite there with Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. But it looks like the recruiting class for next year is going to be good and help them out. I just don't think some of their pieces fit with what they're trying to do. Texas at eight and a half. It sounds like you're taking the under for that too, right? Yeah, I like the under. Um, <laughs> they're a year away also. Defense problem. Quarterback. They might be one of these teams that, you know, waffles back and forth with, with the two quarterbacks uh, all season long. So when, when you have two, you have none. Baylor is listed right now at seven and a half wins uh, at Bet Online. How are you feeling about that one? Over, over, over. Give me Baylor. Um, I love teams that are well coached. Aranda waited for the right job, and yeah. he's in a conference. You know, if he's in the SEC, he was smart. He's like, 
I'm going to go to a conference where I can compete, where I can get my right guys in there. And it turns out now doesn't have down the road is not going to have to worry about Oklahoma and Texas. Baylor might be the beast of the Big 12. And then Kansas State at six yeah. and a half. Sounds like uh, sounds like you like the over there. Yeah, I like the over. And like I said, could come down to that last week. You got a really good running back in Vaughn. And, and one of the other things, it's carried over from the two different coaching staffs at Kansas State, special teams. They play year in, year out, the best special teams. They drop a lot of kicks inside the 10-yard line. They block punts. And they – they, they'll get like punt returns. You know, they're down by six points. They'll get a 20, 25-yard punt return and set up the short fields. A lot easier to go 40, 50 yards than it is to go 75 to 80. Yeah, yeah, there's no question. As far as your favorite plays when looking at the Big 12 lead, do any really stand out more than the others? I think Kansas State. I think Adrian Martinez is not an NFL quarterback, but I think he's maybe comfortable in his own skin. He had one of the best freshman years we've seen in the last dozen years and then fell off from there. And um, I think the pressure's off. I think his girlfriend's also at Kansas State, so maybe the girlfriend effect. I'm not sure, but uh, I like Kansas State the most uh, as a long shot, plus 800, and and especially the over six and a half wins. I think that's a strong wager. Lee Sterling joins your boy Q every single day on Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop uh, one shop stop for all of the betting advice you need every weekday across all sports available wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the College Football Preview 2022 presented by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network. Tomorrow we're going out west to break down the Pac 12. No school has drawn more attention this offseason than the USC Trojans. Are they best positioned? to walk away atop the Conference of Champions. Better yet, could they be the first Pac-12 national champion since they won their vacated title in 2004? Listen tomorrow and every day next week to get everything you need ahead of the college football season. Once again, I'm Zach Blackerby, and until next time, thank you to our friends at Odyssey, and thank you for listening or watching. Find the Ultimate College Preview 2022 on your favorite podcast provider to make sure you don't miss an episode.